This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 313. organization that finds that the people they serve have other choices, that sales and marketing strength matters in your business model, and that hope to have an ongoing relationship with the people they serve. Any business that would say yes to those three things should be thinking about subscription pricing, membership structures. Hi, and welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. My name is Jeff, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. Something that I think remains important despite what's going on in the world today. And maybe working on your personal and professional growth is something you've found a little bit more time for recently, maybe? If so, then I think that's quite wise because I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, and who doesn't, then intentional and consistent reading is a great way to get started. The Read to Lead podcast is designed to help you narrow this reading list and help bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. That author today is a young lady by the name of Robbie Kelman Baxter. She's author of the brand new book out today called The Forever Transaction, How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave. I'll ask Robbie to share about how to discern whether your company or industry should be considering some type of subscription model, the questions you need to ask to diagnose where you are in regard to being prepared to launch something like this, how to recognize who should be leading which phases of the process, and much, much more. I realized in scheduling today's conversation that this is not the first time Robbie and I have interacted via email. In fact, uh, we had some exchanges a couple of years ago about her being on the show to discuss her first book, an email exchange that I apparently either lost or completely forgot about. So technically, this should be her second appearance on the Read to Lead podcast. It's only her first. So she and I are going to work extra hard to make this conversation twice as good. Well, a bit about Robbie. She is the founder of Peninsula Strategies, LLC, a consulting firm that helps companies excel in the membership economy and a subject matter expert on membership models and subscription pricing. Her first book, that one we missed out on talking about, is called The Membership Economy. Find your super users, master the forever transaction, and build recurring revenue. It's an international bestseller. Her clients have included companies like Microsoft, The Wall Street Journal, and Electronic Arts. She's consulted clients in over 20 different industries. She's also spoken to thousands all over the world and has been quoted in or written articles for major media outlets, including The New York Times, C. I.O. Magazine, Brand Quarterly, Leader to Leader, Harvard Business Review, and The Wall Street Journal. Again, Robbie's new book is called The Forever Transaction, How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here, Robbie. Welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm curious to know, being a consultant uh, and someone who, uh, as you do, travels uh, typically a lot to speak or to consult uh, overseas in the U.S. and elsewhere, how is this uh, pandemic impacting uh, your landscape or is it at this point? It, it's actually uh, affecting it quite a bit, particularly because the book is this new book is coming out and mm. I had a lot of uh, speaking engagements all over the world oh. that have, have one, one by one been postponed. Um, and, and then the other side is that it's forcing me to be 
more creative and thoughtful about how to connect uh, connect with people digitally. Um, so I'm really interested in how all of the learning platforms, all of the teleconferencing platforms are evolving and uh, developing best practices to have meaningful connection with people who are practicing social distancing, the new normal. And all the introverts said, amen. <laughs> right, right. I saw, I saw a meme that where, the, where the introvert said, I've been preparing for this my entire life. <laughs> I love it. Uh, maybe now's a good time to buy stock in Zoom. Funny, funny story about Zoom. Um, there's another company, uh, a penny stock that has Z-O-O-M as their uh, their trading handle, okay. <laughs> uh, which is not the fantastic platform that, that so many of us use for for uh, for meetings. Mm. Uh, but they're they're really enjoying <laughs> a spike in uh, in valuation right now. I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, tell me a bit about Molly, Annabelle, Nate and Bob. Who are these folks that you dedicate this book to? Uh, Bob is my, my husband and my number one reader. Mm. Uh, we met on the first day of freshman year of college. We were both English majors. Uh, and he continues to be uh, my, my, my best friend and partner in crime uh, all these many, many years later. And uh, Molly, Annabelle, and Nate are our best products. <laughs> <laughs> Molly, Molly and Annabelle are college students now, and, uh, and Nate is a high school junior, and all three of them are currently out of school. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we're, we're getting, getting lots of quality time. Well, uh, talk a bit about your your first book, if you would, Robbie, and and how that book and this new one, uh, I think, kind of kind of dovetail uh, one another. Yeah. So so five years ago, as as you as you kindly pointed out, I, I published the membership economy, and I I wrote that book really as a one pound business card, uh, as a <laughs> as a way of explaining to people what I believed, what I was seeing. And how I would go about helping them and their business if they chose to work with me. Um, because people weren't really understanding it. They would say, oh, subscriptions don't really apply to me. Or all I need to do is just, I already have a subscription price, so I don't need any help because that's all you do. You just slap a subscription onto <laughs> your existing software, or your existing content, and you just start charging monthly. And so I had to kind of write it all out. Mm. Um, to explain, like, this is part of a bigger trend, and it's an entire business model, not just one tactic. Five years later, first of all, the book did way better than I ever thought it would. Mm. Um, people, strangers were buying it and then reaching out and saying, this is what we're trying to do. And as you know, you know, subscriptions are all the rage right now. Uh, everybody's trying to build a, a premium membership program, a subscription pricing option, and so this second book uh, is really optimized for people who are thinking about this very seriously or doing it and running into challenges and opportunities that they hadn't anticipated. This is really the book from the trenches. Hmm. What, what are some industries or maybe types of companies that, that maybe haven't considered this model that, that, that think maybe it's not right for them that maybe should consider this, this model? Yeah, so so I would say any company, any organization that finds that their members or the people they serve have other choices, that sales and marketing strength matters in your business model, mm. um, and that hope to have an ongoing relationship with the people they serve. Any business that would say yes to those three things should be thinking about subscription pricing, uh, membership structures, long-term focus. 
Um, the only businesses then that don't really need to worry about this at all are businesses where those things aren't true, which would be things like um, you own a fleet of fishing boats and every day you sell your fish at the pier at the market price. Hmm. Right. Doesn't matter. You don't have to find you don't have to have a sales team. You don't have to market it. Doesn't matter uh, if you have a drug that is uh, life saving and people don't have a choice. Doesn't matter how you market it. Right. Hmm. People are going to buy it if they need it. Um, but but for all the rest of us where where relationships matter, I think that uh, applying the principles that I've outlined can be a really helpful way to build a deeper and more engaged relationship with the customer. And you, you hinted at some of this a moment ago, but I want to know what some of the maybe specific questions are that leaders should be asking themselves in order to, to maybe diagnose where they are in regard to being prepared to launch something like this. Yeah, so I divided my new book into three parts. The first part is for people who are just getting started mm. with subscription pricing or membership models. And those could be either entrepreneurs, who have an idea for the next big subscription box or the next subscription service. But it could also be a big established company that is saying we need to incorporate this trend into our larger business. So that might be, you know, a, a big consumer products company, Unilever, Procter & Gamble, both have been experimenting and investing in, in subscriptions. Uh, it could be a big news organization. Um, it could be something that you might not have thought about. For example, Caterpillar, who makes the heavy equipment, they have a whole business around services that you can subscribe to. And their CEO has talked publicly about a world where you don't buy your crane, you subscribe to it, you get access to it for a fixed annual price or for access to one that is shared for a fixed annual price. And then you get all of this data and all of these insights, as well as the use of the crane on those few days a year that you actually need it. So, you know, at the, at the beginning, you'd asked about what are the questions that somebody might need to consider? And it starts with what is the forever promise you're making to your customer? Why would they want to subscribe as opposed to owning something outright or having the ability to just pay as they go? And if you don't have a good reason for why this is in your customer's best interest, uh, I wouldn't go any further. That's probably the place to start. <laughs> yeah, you, you reminded me that uh, I have a subscription with um, Hiller, a company that's plumbing, heating, cooling, and electrical. I paid them thousands of dollars for that HVAC unit sitting out there several years ago, and they signed <laughs> me up for a subscription. And about once every quarter, uh, one of their employees comes by and checks that unit. They check plumbing they, for, you know, for no additional cost. Uh, they'll replace little things uh, for free, but I pay them X number of dollars every single month. And I never would have thought of a company like that having that type of, of model several years ago. Yeah. And, and what, what they're doing, just to kind of t tie it back to this concept of a, of a forever promise, is they're saying, OK, you bought this really expensive thing. You didn't do that to own an expensive thing. <laughs> you did it so that your house or your office will stay warm when it's cold outside and cool when it's warm outside and that the air stays clean. Hmm. And so that's the outcome that you want every day forever, right? Every single day when I'm in this building, I want good quality, well-tempered air, <laughs> right? And that's what they're in the business of providing. And they could take it one step further. They could say, we're not even going to charge you for the equipment. Uh, as, you know, we're just hmm. going to charge you a monthly fee for the air to be good, because <laughs> that's ultimately, you know, it's the same thing. You know, I don't want a car wash. I want a clean car. I don't want a manicure. I want my nails to look good. 
Right. right? And the closer the company can get to pricing around that value, the happier the customer is going to be and um, the more money the company's going to make because they're mm-hmm. optimizing around the real value that people are willing to pay for. As I was reading your book, I was reminded of yet another instance of this uh, that historically uh, you wouldn't connect with subscription type models. And that's the car wash near my house. You mentioned car washes. And my wife signed us up a year or so ago, $34 a month. It's just, it just applies to one car, one of our two vehicles, uh, $34 a month to go by and have our car washed as many times a month as we want. But we use that <laughs> once every two or three months. Mm. And I'm beginning to... Uh, to question whether that $34 a month is, is actually is actually worth it. If it included both cars, maybe, but it's just one. If I want it for the other car, i got to pay another X number of dollars a month or get the family package or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. One of the things, I, I spoke last year at the International Car Wash Association, and I, I learned a couple of fun little tidbits. One of them was that the biggest user slash abuser of the subscription are, well, can you guess who, who it is? Who uses them most heavily? It's Uber drivers. They go every morning before they start their shift. Sure, sure. (laughs) That's like the same guy who comes because, you know, they have to have their car be clean. So they're going 30 days a month or Mm. 28 days a month. And and then people like like us who maybe go once a month or even forget about it or get busy um, are subsidizing uh, those (laughs) Uber guys. And so I I would say that they probably need to optimize the model a little bit more. The Mm. other thing is it's they have to. The, I think that the onus is on the organization to help onboard new members so that the members get the value they're paying for. So, you know, for example, what they might have done with you is to say, you know, welcome to the car wash subscription. Um, mark it in your calendar. You know, Tuesdays are for car washes <laughs> and put it in your calendar every week so that you're reminded because we want to make sure that you get the value that you're entitled to. Because if you were cleaning your car every week, you'd get addicted to having your car be really clean. (laughs) And then you would see the value. You would be less likely to cancel. And also, your car would always be clean. And so there's a likelihood that your friends and neighbors would say, how come your car always looks so good? And uh, and maybe you would even become um, part of the viral growth of the business. Yeah, I was just getting ready to speak to that. Uh, If if I felt like I was getting more value out of it, I'd probably be talking to friends about it a lot more than I am right now. <laughs> yeah. And you also have a bully pulpit. <laughs> That's right. And you mentioned Uber and Lyft. And of course, as I read your book, I, I didn't know this. Uh, I use them when I travel and that's about it. But but now they're trying or have been utilizing subscription models uh, or at least offering that for certain customers. I, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. They're experimenting with, with a couple of different strategies with different customers in mind and different goals in mind. Um, one of them is uh, what I think of as a premium membership, which is you pay a small amount. I think it's $15 a month. And in exchange for that, you don't have to deal with surge pricing, which is that, you know, why does it always seem like when I really need a car and it's raining and there's a lot of people around, I have to pay double, right? <laughs> right. So you pay $15 a month and you you lose that risk. You no longer risk um, that, that, uh, mm. that surge pricing. Um, and then you get a slight discount on all of your purchases. Um, there's another model, uh, which is for somebody who is all, re- and that's really to designed to change behavior and make you more confident about counting on it. Mm. But for people who are kind of further down the transformation to really depending on um, ride sharing as part of their new normal, uh, there's a model where I think it's $200 for 20 $15 rides. Mm. So if you use them all, you are saving $100. So 
it's it's a good deal for somebody who, let's say, uses Uber or Lyft to get to work every day, mm. and it's a fifteen dollar ride there and back. Um, if you if you're that person, this is a great way to make it a habit, and maybe even feel confident enough to get rid of your car. Uh, you mentioned a moment ago, Robbie, the the parts that your book is divided in that sort of mirror the implementation of this of this model launch, then scale, uh, then lead. Talk about the need to recognize that who's leading the charge may change depending on where you are in that process. In terms of the um, the leadership inside the company, right, right, yeah, yeah, it's different kinds of people, and you know, I'm. I'm personally very much a strategy person. I love new ideas. I love planning. I love research. I love analytics. And I'm capable but less passionate and probably less skilled at Mm. day-to-day operations of business as usual. Mm. When I was younger, uh, that made me (laughs) feel bad about myself (laughs) because I was thinking like, why am I not that good at like this kind of day-to-day, you know, keeping track of all these little details. Mm. And and as I've gotten older, I've realized that, you know, I have a specific set of strengths and I should play to them. And I think in the process of establishing and growing a um, a transaction-oriented business model, you need different kinds of people at different stages. I think early on, you need somebody who is entrepreneurial, strategic and well-connected because you have to make something out of nothing. Um, You have to make a case for resources, whether that's, you know, getting your company to give you, you know, people and budget Mm -hmm. or whether that's getting a venture firm to write you a check. And you need to have a lot of gumption because you're going to be iterating a lot to try to find that product market fit. Mm. Uh, In the scaling phase, it's really better to have one of those operationally minded organizational people uh, who can put processes into place, say, this is how we always do this. Um, these are the metrics we always use. This is the role of each person. This is how we train people. Um, these are our materials. It's all of that kind of uh, process-driven stuff that really helps in scaling, figuring out the underlying technology, figuring out the the metrics and bonuses for people in the organization, being consistent so you can scale effectively. And then in the last phase, which is lead, I think you need a mix of people. I think the risk is that you end up keeping that operationally minded person in place Mm. who's really focused on incremental improvements for people who are already in the family, already existing customers. And you still need just, you definitely still need somebody looking at they're at your own business with a microscope, but you also need somebody using a telescope to look out on the horizon Mm -hmm. and think about what's coming next and who are tomorrow's members going to be and is our offer still compelling to them. A lot of times for very successful membership and subscription businesses, so think about newspapers, think about professional associations, gyms uh, that have been using subscription pricing for a really long time, um, often their members are incredibly loyal and incredibly engaged, Mm. but new people aren't signing up. And they blame it on, oh, millennials aren't joiners, or, or things like that. And, and I don't think that's true. Millennials join lots of things. They're actually great joiners and tend to be more engaged in subscription models. It's it's more like that movie where it's like, they're just not that into you <laughs> because your model is, your model was optimized for the time when you launched 30 years ago or 50 years ago. It's broadsheet paper, you know, delivered twice a day, or it's uh, an annual meeting and some in-person training classes. 
And it's no longer the best way to deliver on the promise that they're making. It's the radio stations in my community. It's <laughs> <laughs> I come from radio, so I've, I've yeah. uh, tuned into that uh, and the challenges they face, uh, you know, among the Pandoras and the Spotify's of, of the yeah. world, and not to mention, you know, talk radio and podcasts and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's not that we don't like listening to faceless voices in our heads. <laughs> we still love that. It's just we have a lot more choices than we used to have. Mm. And our expectations have changed about how it's delivered. Radio is not always the most efficient way. Uh, you, you know, you have to, I mean, I have so many times where I'm sitting in my car in the driveway, uh, you know, because whatever show, Fresh Air, you know, is not over yet. And right. I need to hear the last five minutes. Um, <laughs> but when you have a podcast, right, you can, you can pause it. You can listen to it before bed. You can listen to it on your, you know, on a long drive when you do have time. And I know that a lot of talented show hosts have moved to that model. Mm. And some radio stations have been more proactive and deliberate about thinking about what they're really doing and who they're really serving. But change is very hard, especially when you risk cannibalizing your existing business right. um, or, or giving up um, very expensive investments that you've made in yesterday's technology. Well, one quote uh, to me, Robbie, that stood out from the book is when you say it's easier to manage what people do than how they feel. And I think this was speaking to culture. Talk about the need to to manage emotions, the, the mindset shifts necessary for a project like this, building a shared vision, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, this is the biggest change that I've really felt over the last year or so is is organizations coming and saying, hey, people are are doing what we tell them around our new subscription model, but they don't feel it. And that, that can manifest in, in a bunch of different ways. I think of it as I don't understand and I'm afraid as being two different things. And, and it's for me personally and for the company. So I don't understand for me personally. That's the one that people often catch early on, but not always, which is, you know, I used to make products like this and you're telling me to make it for membership and I don't know what that means. Hmm. And so someone, so for example, if you're a news organization, uh, optimizing for membership means that you might no longer do breaking news because that is actually done pretty well for free by lots of people. Mm. Uh, but you're going to really focus on doubling down on very in-depth research articles, um, investigation, uh, analysis, um, because that's what people are willing to pay for. So it changes what the newsroom is doing. Mm. So just explaining that to them to say, look, you know, our new metric is not clicks, it's minutes spent on an article or it's minutes spent on article only looking at people who are paying us. We don't care about free people looking at our articles. We only care about what the people who are paying are doing. So that's an I don't understand. The other one is I am afraid, which is, wait a minute, but I am the expert on breaking news <laughs> and now you don't value breaking news. What does that mean for me? Well, mm. I am going to do everything in my power to make this experiment a failure because mm. I'm afraid for my job. Wow. Uh, and then and then there's at the corporate level, which is I'm afraid this isn't going to work for this company that I love so much. So I'm going to just ignore what they're telling me and mm. just do things the way I always did it. So I have a lot of clients who are like, but but that's not how we work. We make awesome games in boxes. You know, when you when you make all games available for a single subscription, that diminishes the value of the games mm. or the movies or the, 
you know, whatever it is that you're now providing catalog access to. This is especially true for companies that are moving from a transactional model to a subscription or membership model. You really need to invest in bringing your team along, both in terms of understanding what they need to do differently, very specifically for their jobs, and also emotionally making sure that they're on board and that they're not kind of passive aggressively dragging their feet. And to something you, 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 you pointed out earlier, this is especially critical if you don't want to age with your customers, with your members, right? As you said, uh, younger generations are less used to owning things. They, they, they want to rent them for as long as they need them. And that's going to be more and more of the case, it appears, going forward, right? Yeah, um, they're more comfortable with access in contrast to ownership. They think of that as one of many models that can work for their needs. Mm. Really, what we're what we're talking about is a new way of packaging value to better align with the needs of your customer. And I think millennials get that. And I think organizations need to continue to think about how do I make my offering? If I want young people to buy my product or sign up for my membership, are they finding the offer compelling? So there's there's three reasons. If you can't get new members, there's sort of three reasons that I think of. The first reason is you're not fishing in the right pond. So mm. the channels you're pursuing are the wrong channels. You know, if I if I market at old age homes and that's the only place that I'm marketing, it's unlikely that I'm going to get that many people under 25. <laughs> um, right. Second one is I'm not communicating well. So people say, I didn't understand what you meant. Uh, or I didn't believe you with mm. your description. I didn't realize that that's what the product could do. Now that you've explained it to me better, <laughs> I want it. Um, and that's that's a marketing communications problem that's pretty cheap to fix. Mm-hmm. And then the third problem is a product problem, which is I understand what you're offering and I just don't <laughs> want it or I don't think it's worth what you're charging for it. And that's a product market fit problem and that's a more expensive problem. And I think for a lot of businesses um, that are having trouble reaching millennials that have been very successful with prior generations, Gen X, boomers, it's that problem. It's I'm analyzing my choices and the choice you're presenting me with is not very compelling. So the organization actually has to rethink what they're offering. So this might be a a professional association where all of the trainings are held in person and a young person just graduating and starting their career might say, you know, I'm not going to fly to Washington, D.C. for a three day training program. I'm looking for something that I can do, honestly, in two minute increments, just in time as I need it or continuing education credits that I can do on the weekend in the comfort of my own home. Hmm. You mentioned the word metrics earlier, specifically as it relates, I think, in the example you gave to the newspaper industry. Uh, But let's talk about metrics for just a second. What are some of the more common challenges or mistakes that companies or leaders make in using subscription metrics? I know there's a lot of ways this could go. This kind of a broad question. But generally speaking, what what are some of those challenges that continue to crop up? Well, if you're a transactionally minded business, not a forever minded business, you might be interested in things like how much revenue did we get this quarter? Mm. And a great way to add to your revenue to get, you know, to hit your short-term target is to throw in some sneaky little extra fee, for example, like what Blockbuster used to do, late fees, mm. right? Or what what banks do with, you know, various overdraft kinds of, kinds of fees. And those work great for short-term revenue and they're 
terrible for building trust and long-term relationships. Mm. So focusing too heavily on your short-term revenue numbers is probably the biggest mistake companies make. And I think this is true of companies that aren't even using subscription. It's just if you focus too much on your quarterly goals, you risk alienating your customers and diminishing whatever trust you've built up. What I've seen in, in businesses that have actually moved to subscription that's a problem is an under- valuing or, or not paying enough attention to the unit economics. So, you know, the one example that, that's been talked about quite a bit is is Blue Apron, the meal kit service, where they were offering a free trial and the cost of the in the free trial, they actually send you food to your house, which is expensive, right? The food has real costs. The shipping has real costs and it's free with no obligation. And what they were finding was people weren't sticking with the membership long enough to cover the cost of acquisition. Mm-hmm. Now, because they were spending like crazy, um, they were bringing in a lot of new customers in the front door with that really, really attractive trial offer. Mm. So from an outside perspective, it looked like number of customers was growing. Yay. Right. And the amount of revenue was growing because most of them are staying for a month or two or three or four. So revenue was growing. Um, and so they could say, look, you know, we're acquiring customers like crazy and our <laughs> revenue was growing like crazy. But if you took a step back and looked with your um, microscope, you'd see that on any one of those customers that was coming in, they were losing money Mm. because the cost of acquisition was greater than all of the revenue that was being generated. So you really need to get into the weeds and look at, you know, everybody wants to have that one KPI, Mm. uh, but you really actually need to understand how the different metrics play off of each other. Because as we all know, if you give an ambitious competitive person one number to hit, they will <laughs> they will figure out a way to hit it, even if it's not what you intended. Mm, you did such a great job of answering that broad question. I want to ask you one more. You say that uh, pricing is is the servant, not the master. What do, what do you mean by that? I think a lot of companies sort of start and stop their subscription strategy at let's charge a subscription for what we're offering. Mm. And I think your pricing is, it's just a tactic. If you don't look at it in the context of the entire model, you risk failing and alienating the customer. So I see a lot of companies, let's, let's say that I have, you know, I have two books out, right? Mm. If I said, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to take my own medicine. I want to have a subscription business. So from now on, anyone who wants to read my books needs to subscribe to robbiesbooks.com. <laughs> and it's a hundred dollars a year. Okay. Robbiesbooks.com. $100 a year, right? I have two books. An avid reader. I mean, I don't know. How long would it take you? How long does it take you to read a book? Well, I'm reading a a book a week. It doesn't take me a week to read a book, but maybe a few hours, I guess, in most cases. A few hours. So you join Robbie's Books. Robbie has two books. They're both under 300 pages. You read them all and, uh, (laughs) you know, let's let's be generous and say we give you a week to read them all, Mm. right? We give you two weeks. Let's say that you're only going to read them in in two-week calendar time, right? But I'm forcing you to pay $100 and commit for a year, Mm. right? That's just annoying. And and the books, they list for $28 each. (laughs) You can get them cheaper. You can get them at the library. This is a terrible membership model. But yet people do it all the time. They take whatever assets they have and they slap on a a membership price. And if they're worried that people won't stay very long because they don't have a lot of content, they say, let's just make it an annual subscription. Mm. And that kind of thinking where pricing is driving the strategy, it doesn't work. There's, I mean, that's just one example of a mistake, but there's a million different ways you can go wrong mm. by letting the uh, the tail wag the dog in terms of pricing. Now, if you were to add to that, 
offering, say, a monthly Zoom meeting with Robbie to talk about the the, the most recent chapter we just read. Maybe that's maybe that's getting into the right. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Well, back to this forever promise. If if I said, okay, who would want to read both of my books, right? And I would say, well, most of those people are people who are actively involved or actively thinking about building a subscription business. And then I say, well, what would those people wish that somebody like Robbie would offer? And I would say they probably wish I would offer them everything they need to maximize their chances of being successful with their business model. And then I would say, okay, well, how can I, Robbie, deliver on that, right? And it would be like, well, I should definitely give them my books because that's kind of the, the place where I've tried to summarize my, my best learning and experiences in, mm-hmm. in one place. But yeah, I'll do a, I'll do a monthly webinar with what's, what I'm learning, the newest stuff that's coming out, you know, that I can explain. Uh, I might do Q&A sessions. I might do one-on-one um, coaching. Uh, I might have workshops on specific areas. Here's, let's do a deep dive in onboarding, or let's do a deep dive in, you know, how to use free in your business model. And, you know, maybe I'll gather everybody. Maybe I say, you know, once a year, we're going to have a, a summit. And we're all going to come in person and everybody that's a member is going to do a short presentation about their business so we can learn from each other, right? I'm going to give you a mentor when you join, somebody who I think is about a year ahead of you in what you're doing or just enough ahead of you that they could be useful, right? So that's exactly it. Like you described, you know, when you when you suggested adding the, the, the webinars, that's exactly what companies need to mm-hmm. think about is how do I repackage my value in a way that really continues to solve somebody's ongoing problem. So so when is this launching, Robbie? This <laughs> <laughs> Well, I have a membership lab, um, ah, which is okay. actually free, uh, which does a lot of that. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, so uh, so people are interested in, in joining the lab. We uh, Anything that people post on the community, I will always answer. Mm. So if you don't mind sharing your problem with a group <laughs> of like-minded people, you get a, a thoughtful, at least as, as thoughtful as I can be, uh, response and, and advice. And where online is, is, is that your website or is that a separate website? It's a separate website. It's uh, membershipeconomylab.mn which is mightynetworks.co. Mm. If, you, if you Google Membership Economy Lab, it'll pop up. Awesome. We'll put a link, obviously, in the show notes as well. Uh, I got a couple of questions in the time we have left that I want to ask you not directly related to the book, Robbie. Before I do that, anything else from the book you want to make sure we know or walk away with? No, I think we covered a lot. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, uh, when it comes to reading, this, after all, is the Read to Lead podcast, particularly reading to learn, what would you say you do to help retain what you read? I think there's there's a couple of things. One of them is I try as often as possible to read books in concert with my friends. Hmm. So I am in so many book clubs. Uh, <laughs> I've been in you know at least one book club with each of my three children for their entire you know elementary through high school. Hmm. And then I'm in three adult book clubs. And then I'm in a mastermind group with other people like me, consultant, author, speakers, where we read business books. And I found that discussing the book is a great way to retain, you know, what's what's valuable. Mm. And I also try to write notes about it. Um, you know, one thing I'm going to do from the book. So I have an ongoing list of things to do. That's for the for the the learning types of, of, of books that I read is I, I try to take one action item. I'm in a mastermind as well. And we uh, read books together, just like you described. Yeah, it's it's a great way to increase its uh, stick to I guess. 
Yeah. Well, it makes sure that you finish the book. It makes sure that even if you didn't think it was useful for you, mm-hmm. maybe someone else can point out why it might be more useful than you thought. Mm-hmm. And it also forces you to really think about what the key points, the key takeaways are and how to apply them. Um, I also find if you if you apply something, you remember it a lot better. Uh, for sure. For sure. Um, speaking of, of those books you're reading, what would you say, Robbie, are the one or two or three, as many titles as you want to mention, that have really stuck with you, that maybe you go back to again and again or have left an impression on you? Oh, boy. So there's... (laughs) There's a lot that I that I've read over the years. I, I would say "Free" by by Chris Anderson yeah. is a book that I that I really loved. I think it's like a brief history of a radical price or a long history of a radical price. The future uh, of a radical price. The future of a radical of a radical price. <laughs> yeah. So that's one that I've really liked. From Impossible to Inevitable is a book that I that I really liked. I uh, I think Aaron Ross. Mm. I'm trying to think of other oh Challenger Sale is a book I really liked. Um, Getting Started in Consulting by Alan Weiss got me on this path of mm. of uh, kind of having an independent business. Um, those are those are a few of the books that have really stuck with me. I, I'm sure that there are many many more, um, but uh, but those are definitely some. Awesome. You mentioned uh, several that I'm not familiar with, so I've got some homework uh, to do. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, finally, I'll uh, ask now that uh, the book is out, you can not necessarily put that behind you. You've got uh, more of these interviews to do, but uh, what would you say is next for you that you're excited about and that you're able to share? Um, well, the next six months are really all about sharing all the work I've been doing with this book for the last five years. Mm. So that feels very fun and very exciting yeah. um, just to get the word out and to help people. You know, people are still I think the membership economy, it's still helping people. There's a lot of people that are calling me, you know, every day still, which is amazing to me and saying, hey, I just got your book mm. and I want to work with you or I want to ask you a quick question or uh, whatever. So it's going to be really fun. And I'm thinking, I have all this new content that I would love to <laughs> share with you, but it's not available yet. And so that's I'm really looking forward um, to, to that probably more than more than anything. And then, you know, continuing to help my clients, um, which is the real kind of meaningful work that I do every day. Well, the book, again, is called The Forever Transaction, How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave. Robbie, thank you so much for giving so generously of your time. I'm sorry it's only this one time and not two times, but (laughs) (laughs) the next time you write a book, we'll make sure and have you on again. Uh, oh, that's so nice of you. Thanks so much, Jeff. This was really, really fun to to talk to you and um, and think about these these questions that you thoughtfully presented. Well, thanks to Robbie. There are plenty of resources for you if you want to dig into this topic a little bit more. There are any of the four books she recommended. There's her last book, The Membership Economy, in addition to this new one, as well as her Membership Economy Lab website. Links to all those resources can be found in the show notes page, the blog post created just for this episode. You can find all that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 313 for episode 313. In the next couple of weeks, you can look forward to my conversations with authors like Stefan H. Tomke, author of the book Experimentation Works, The Surprising Power of Business Experiments, as well as Kate Croco. She's author of the book Thinking Like a Boss, Uncover and Overcome the Lies Holding You Back from Success. That and more in the coming weeks right here on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that should do it for this week. I'm so glad you've decided to spend a little bit of time with me. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the podcast. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. 